0: So for us, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 8 As we be, uh, continue our study in the book of Hebrews I Remember last week we looked at Melchizedek uh, And uh, just in my trying to get a lot of stuff in I didn't even define his name <laughs> uh, Mel or Melech in Hebrew is king um, And uh, Sidkenu, uh, which our kids uh, learned of uh, In joyful sounds is the word for righteousness um, Or uh, And so And then uh, uh, Melchizedek has the word righteousness embedded in it. So king of righteousness. And so Hebrews 8, though, turns off of Melchizedek the priest of the holy God, the king as well, and turns there. And so Hebrews 8 becomes this turning point in the book of Hebrews. Now, not a a massive turning point like uh, chapter 4, but uh, it goes from the idea of Jesus as the great high priest to now, uh, how does that relate to Jesus bringing in a a better covenant uh, talking about the sanctuary and the sacrifices that were espoused in the old testament and so uh, so basically the turning point is from the high priest and now what does that mean for us as his people so i don't know about you but you ever get studying in a passage or in a book and you're so down deep in the weeds and the details that you kind of forget where you are like at the 30,000 foot view so let's draw back a second Let's do that. So um, we're going to just kind of review where we've been. And so, if I don't know if you remember the just kind of four basic sections of the book of Hebrews, Um, and we've looked at the first one, uh, and we looked at Jesus being a better messenger. So the first uh, four chapters, uh, the very end of four is actually a transition to the next, uh, but a better messenger. So Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. Jesus, not that anything was deficient in those people, Jesus just exceeds what they were able to bring. They brought a picture or a slice of what God was revealing in Jesus. We see the entirety of it. We see a better, more reliable messenger. But now we're in the section of Jesus as a better representative. Um, And uh, the what a priest does in the Old Testament is represents the people before God, okay? A messenger or a prophet represents God to the people. Now we're on the other side of the coin where we are, we are being represented before God by Jesus. So he's a better representative, and the priest held that function in the Old Testament. So Jesus here is a better priest in the order of Melchizedek. A, which brings in a better hope, and we're going to look at today a better covenant. So that's all in that better repre- representative part because of Jesus, and then uh, the last two sections we'll get to uh, in the coming weeks. But if you remember, it wasn't just, or here are the sections, uh, in the better messenger and in the better representative, we've covered three of the warnings in this book. So three of the warnings in this book And uh, the first one was Be careful uh, That you don't drift away From the word of God From the message that you have heard In drifting The idea of drifting is it's so dangerous Because you're away from where you started Away from where you need to be And you don't even know you're there Or or don't even know that you're gone Uh, Deadened or hardened to the word of God Remember uh, he was talking to uh, writing to these people and speaking of the nation of Israel, that they hardened their hearts towards God. They kind of just deaden their hearts to the Word of God uh, in the rebe- <clears throat> in the rebellion. I have no idea what's going on. So, um, yeah. So the warning against drifting, warning is uh, being deadened or hardened to the Word. <laughs> Thanks, sweetie. Uh, and um, and then also the the last word the third warning that we've looked at is being dull. To the Word of God, or uh, some versions uh, have it, have it translated lazy, or sluggish, dull. Just you hear it, and you know, it's like whatever. Uh, you just don't care. It Rolls off your back. Um, we don't do anything with it. We're lazy in it. And so, uh, so the ways to combat the idea of drifting is uh, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter two to pay much closer attention. Okay. Much closer attention, awareness, open your eyes, see where you are, see where your heart is. The idea of, of uh, combating uh, the, 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 us being deadened or hardened to the word, uh, the beginning of chapter 3 says that we should consider Jesus, okay? but even, even more, that we would take care. Or that we would exhort one another. So this is not merely uh, just for you alone in your relationship uh, with Jesus. It truly is, thank you, uh, a community project that we have each other's uh, relationship to God on our hearts. And so that we would exhort one another, as long as it's called today, which means you're not going to stop doing this, so that we will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The nature of sin is that you you don't know that you are taken over by it. You're deceived. And if you know you're deceived, you are not deceived. Okay? The only way you're deceived is that you are tricked and you don't know it. And God says the only way that that comes to light is by the power of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes, through your brothers and sisters in christ and so be willing to listen because you may not be seeing accurately because sin has deceived or uh, deceived us but also be willing to speak because your brothers and sisters in christ their walk with him may rely on you being bold to speak Okay? And so that's where we are. Jesus is a better messenger, a better representative. We have a better hope. All these warnings that, that uh, the writer of Hebrews lays out in front of us. Um, oh, I didn't do the, the last one. The idea of us being dull towards the word, the, the, the concept of us being sluggish, that we would constantly train, what does it say? Constantly train and practice to distinguish good from evil. That we would train in the word of God. And apply it to our lives That we would have this earnestness To make sure our hope And so all of that gets us to Hebrews 8 So in Hebrews 8 We get uh, basically the conclusion Of the writer of Hebrews argument That he's been uh, developing Since the end of chapter 4 So he's taken a couple tangents He's kind of put some parenthetical in here uh, He's done some other explanation We're going to look at Jesus Bringing in a better covenant. Uh, So let me drink this real quick so I can stop sounding like a frog. And uh, so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 8, and uh, just like is our normal practice, so that we express our surrender to the Word of God. Would you be willing to stand as we just express our submission? And we're going to read the the entire chapter of Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Now, the point in what we're saying, basically all that stuff he just came before, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer, meaning for himself. Now, if he were on earth, and that he is Jesus, not the priest, he would not be a priest at all, since these there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent... and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Yeah, let's pray. God, uh, be with us as we look at your word. Father, I pray that at, at times, as complex as these sentences and these words and these concepts are, God, would you make it very plain to us, what you're conveying to us, God, that we have a better hope, a more certain faith in, in salvation because we have a high priest, our advocate, who is greater than all. Father, give us hope. Give us uh, certainty this morning. when We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, please be seated. So that was a long way to get here, right, okay? So we're here, and like, like we looked at last week is the idea of hope, and that, that oftentimes many people lack hope. You know, it seems elusive. Uh, it seems that we look for it, but we come up empty uh, in this idea of hope. And so for us here, the writer of Hebrews is landing the plane on that concept. Why would we, as God's people, who know Christ, why would we have a more firm and more certain hope? Well, the author's been on the same point since the end of chapter 4, starting in verse um, 14 of chapter 4, where he begins the discussion as Jesus as our great high priest. Remember, one who has gone through the heavens, not just into the holy of holies on earth. One who uh, understands and and can sympathize with us. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. So that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and find his grace and mercy in our time of need. And right on the heels of that is this warning. The warning to not grow dull or sluggish at hearing that. You know, that we would cease to practice that and put it into play. That when we find ourselves in need, you know what? Sluggish would be, we don't go to the one who says, come to him, and I can give you grace. And after that warning, we get to chapter 7. And chapter 7 was merely explaining Jesus as the great high priest, that he was in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, if you weren't here last week... I want to listen to the podcast That Jesus is a part of an eternal or forever priesthood Not in the line of Aaron And in the line of the Levites And because of that He always lives to make intercession for us And here we are in chapter 8 The summary of his point of Jesus as a priest Is that he represents us He's our advocate He is before the throne of God arguing our case and and pleading and praying for us that's what it means to intercede that's what jesus is doing on our behalf we don't have a priest that stopped being a priest because he died we have a priest that is forever always living to pray for us to god the father So when we find ourselves in fear and wrapped up in the struggles of this life or wondering, am I really a child of God? Am I really acceptable? Do I have to do anything more? There's Jesus pleading for us to God the Father. And a better advocate leads to better promises. And that's the point of chapter 8 and kind of this whole thing. You know, the first two verses. Now in the point, uh, now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high high priest, one who's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister of the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up and not man. Basically, everything that the earthly high priest did, Jesus has done to the the greatest extent. Uh, Verses 3 and 4 says that a high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Again, represent the people before God thus it's necessary for the priest to also have something to offer meaning he's a sinner he's got to offer for his sins so that he can make offering for the people now if he, Jesus, were on earth, in verse 4, he would not be a priest at all why? because he's not a Levite Okay, he's not from the descendant of earthly priests, that's why him being in the order of Melchizedek is important okay, uh, because the uh, Melchizedek was a priest forever uh, And that was all According to the law so don't lose the word Law okay so law Sinai Moses all Of these different things are pointing To uh, when God brought his people out of Egypt And he comes to His people on Mount Sinai and gives Them the Ten Commandments But don't miss That the Ten Commandments are in a part Of Exodus called the book Of the covenant chapter 19 to 24, is called the Book of the Covenant. Okay, why? Because God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I'm the God who saved you. I'm the God who redeemed you from Egypt. Now here's how you live. You'll have no other gods before me. And so the idea, even of the Ten Commandments and the law and and the rest of what was given, was in. In context of God being their salvation. And so all of these things that come by the law in verse 5, they weren't pointless, but they were incomplete. Right? What What is, what are they called in verse 5? That they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Okay, so there's Moses. Uh, They're going to set up the tabernacle. Uh, The priests are going to minister on behalf of God's people, and what they are doing is incomplete. But it's what God gave them, but it's incomplete. It is a copy and a shadow. Okay, so what is true of a copy and a shadow? If you think of a shadow, you just see the shadow of a great building. Uh, A shadow resembles the real thing. The, The shadow brings the real thing to your mind. The shadow makes us even long for the real thing. The shadow most definitely is not as magnificent as the real thing, but it is in play to what? To remind us or point us to the real thing. And so when the Old Testament priests, and the Old Testament tabernacle were, were enacted, it was to point to one who is greater, to point to the one who would actually bring in real and lasting hope. It's the shadow versus the full reality. Now what's interesting is what are they serving and what are they pointing to? Verse 5, they are and the shadow that point to what? They point to heavenly things. That's interesting Because you would think If they're just going to point to Christ They would have pointed to his work on the cross In the first century But they are even more forward looking Than the first century They are pointing to heavenly things They are pointing to a hope That even uh, resides beyond What Jesus has done on the cross I'm not saying that was incomplete but, But that is a complete work but the fullness of the reality of what has been what is coming to be ushered in is not yet complete. We sit in the place between the complete work of Jesus and complete restoration and glory. So just as Old Testament Israel was looking forward, so do we. And so all of this is a pointing uh, towards what is to come. So now if you're bad at like grammatical structure and that just like tore you up in seventh grade in those like lines of Diagramming sentences. Here's what verses one through five Stripped away of all the extra adjectives and descriptors uh, Is now the point in what we're saying is this we have such a high priest That every high priest on earth serves as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things got it Okay There's a lot more detail in those other verses, but it's all describing that's the point. Every high priest we have on earth uh, serves as a copy and a shadow and points us to heavenly things. And what's wild is because of that, verse 6 is is what uh, the writer is pointing us to. Verse 6 is, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it's enacted on better promises. So a better priest brings in a better covenant and a better covenant brings with it better promises and it's the promise of relationship, not the promise of the law. Go do these things and and if you fail in that, then uh, the, the blessings of the covenant are not there. All humankind feels the effects of sin and brokenness. But the law could not undo that feeling. Here's some rules to go do. Now go do them. And when you mess it up, well, okay, here's some sacrifices to make to pay for your sins before God. But yet, you know in your heart, and everybody else knows, that the blood of bulls and goats, as the Hebrews, writer of Hebrews talks about in 10, Cannot take away your sins. In chapter nine, that um, that all of those things are unable to clear the conscience of the worshiper. So here's a law that you cannot keep, and in the guilt of that, your sacrifices that will not clear your conscience. Setting it up, all right. We need one who can, but all of humanity feels the effects of sin and brokenness. Some people might just dull the pain through pleasure. Some might through some kind of substance or food. Others go to great lengths to rid themselves of their sin. Old Testament Israel, the Pharisees, they were obedient, trying to assuage their own sin. Well, in India, back in 2013, and they actually do it every four years, there's a gathering of people in India, and it's, it's been said that it is the largest gathering on earth. Um, And uh, so I'm going to butcher the pronunciation so you guys can go and tell me how to do this. But the the Kumbha Mela is the largest gathering on earth, conservatively uh, estimated at 10 million people gathering in northern India. Now, every 144 years, I'm not sure, super Kumbh Mela or Maha Kumbh Mela it happens and so back in 2013 It was it was this super Uh kind of festival that was there and what this is Is a hindu tradition Where there was a war between the gods and the demons over divine nectar And in this war four drops of this nectar fell out of the pitcher that was carrying the nectar and they fell in four places in India next to rivers, and if you dip yourself in these rivers at certain times and certain dates during this festival of Kumbha, that it is said you would be rid of your sin. And 10 million people gather to do that. I don't care where you are on the face of this planet, we all feel the effects of sin and brokenness and guilt, and, we, and we, need that we have this feeling that we need to be cleansed. Some people say, you know what, there's no hope in that, so I'm just going to chase whatever I want to chase, but you still can't deal with what's going on inside. One writer, Sarah Jorgensen, um, in, in commenting on this, says, through the ages, humans have tried to rid themselves of sin and its consequences. Religious rituals, idols, journeys, and sacrifices have all tried to assuage and comfort the sinner's heart but have been found wanting or lacking. And that's the nature of the Old Testament law. Here's a law, follow it, and you'll be right with God. Hmm. It doesn't do it. Here's a sacrifice. Go and make these and you'll be right. But those are unable to clear the conscience. They're pointing to something even better. Even in the Hindu religion, there's this nature inside of our hearts where we are trying to deal with the sin and brokenness in us. So where is hope? Where is a better hope? Where is The hope for God's people is in the covenant faithfulness of our God. Verse 8 begins a quote of Jeremiah 31, okay? Uh, We don't have time right now, but uh, it's a must-read. Go read Jeremiah 31 and put Hebrews 8 in context. Without it, not totally sure. Um, You've got the full picture. You'll understand it, but there's great commentary there in Jeremiah 31, but he says this in verse eight. For he finds fault with them when he says, "Okay." So, uh, what is God finding fault with? Um, is it the them, the priests? Is it them, the people? Is it them, the prescriptions of the law? And many translations take it many different ways. Uh, the the literal word order in Greek, which by the way means nothing, um, in Greek Greek word order is. It doesn't translate the way we do, is for he finds fault them he says. For he finds fault them he says. So you figure out which ones go with which, um, and the only way to do that is by context. So you could find fault with the priest, you could find fault with uh, the the priest, the sacrifices, all these things. You could even find fault with the people. I would say that it's pointing to the fault uh, the fault of Uh, What came earlier in one verse for if the first covenant had been faultless in verse seven There would have been no occasion to look for a second Then the same root word fault. So I think the covenant is what is at fault there um, but just so you're That was just free, I guess. Um, so But the point is seeing the weakness of the old to old covenant a new and better covenant was introduced. And so here are the things that are introduced. Hear these words. There really are a promise of restoration. I love these words because this is in in the the Old Testament, the place where the new covenant is announced. Okay, is Jeremiah 31 and verses 8 through 12 are a quote of Jeremiah 31. And in that is a promise of restoration. It's a promise that that God, yes, he allowed God's people to fall. He allowed the destruction of Jerusalem. He allowed these people to be carried off into Babylon. Yes, they're in captivity. Yes, their hope is dashed. Yet, the promise of the new covenant. Behold, verse 8, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Israel. Of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them uh, by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So he's bringing a new covenant, not like the one he gave to Moses with the law and the priests and the prophets, or the law and the priests and the tabernacle. I'm bringing a new covenant. I'm going to bring one that can actually usher in salvation. And so just like the people in the Old Testament, just like the people in India, just like people all over this world were looking for a real and certain salvation. So there was a guy who was actually pulled over in Minnesota, um, and uh, so he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, so the the officer pulled him over, and then it was found out that he was actually driving a car that was registered to somebody else. (laughs) Okay? Um, That's a nice way of saying he probably stole it. Um, And also, he was... uh, also wanted on a, an open warrant for his arrest. Okay, and um, and so the the, the arresting our, the, uh, the the police officer that pulled him over realized all of this, and so they end up searching the guy. And as they're searching him, he pulls out of his pocket a Monopoly get out of jail free card. <laughs> This is, uh you can't make this stuff up. This is real, okay? And, uh, of course, the officer probably laughed. Um, they got a good kick out of it. Um, you know, we appreciate the humor they posted on their social media account. You know, an A for effort, uh, but he still went to jail. Um, and, uh, you know, but we all know, and he knew he was done for, you know, maybe this will get me off, you know, get out of jail free card we all know we need mercy we all know we need grace you know we might not be standing like uh like someone with an open warrant for our arrest but before a holy and righteous god you stand guilty condemned uh you stand uh worthy of his wrath and if all you can do is whatever version you have of a get out of jail free card it might lead to uh Uh, A humorous chuckle We're all standing in the need Of mercy and grace But here's the promise of God Mercy and grace and hope Cannot come from inside of you Our world Says it does Look inside and find the goodness that you have in there And uh, Hope comes from inside of you God says it does not It comes from outside of you And it comes from him Verse 10 uh, says for This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Remember, they're in slavery. They're in captivity. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Why won't they teach that? Because they will all know me. From the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful towards their their iniquities, and I'll remember their sins no more. What's great is that God in his promises brings an even better future. It's not that he's just restoring back to what was. He's actually even bringing his people into something better. There's that amazing phrase in Jeremiah 31 that he's going to turn their mourning, their grieving, into joy. And I don't know about you, but the verse, of uh, verse 12, uh, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, towards their sin, and I will remember their sins no more. That God will consciously not draw our sins into his mind anymore. It's not as if God can forget, but he will no longer remember and bring them into his consciousness. He will Uh, Allow those things to be no more. There's a difference between restoration and just moving past stuff, isn't there? You know what? I'm just going to forget my past. Man, that was a train wreck. I'm going to go and just move on. That's not restoration. God in his restoration work, what does he say? He says that you will know me. Verse 11, and that's what we were created for. It's not just, go, uh, not just to have these things go away, not just have the law kind of uh, fix us up and make us different. It's also not just the promise of, of restoration, but it's the promise of God's presence. I will be your God, and you will be my people. We've looked at this a number of times over the last uh, eight, nine years together. That could be, I will be your God and you will be my people, could be the theme of the Bible. You could argue that that's the definition uh, or, or the a summary sentence of what God is doing with his people in the Bible. I will be your God, you will be my people. We're going to flip through, just see it real quickly. Genesis seventeen seven. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant To be God to you and to your offspring after you. There's a promise there. I'm going to be your God. Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. Wait a second. This is the promise and the covenant he made with Moses. This one and the next one. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Go to Leviticus Leviticus 26, I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. Go to the prophets, Ezekiel 36, you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. We have it here in Hebrews chapter 8 and then let's fast forward all the way to the end when God sets everything right, Revelation 21 verse 3. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the promise of God for his people throughout time. So don't be misled when verse 13 is speaking of the new covenant making the first one obsolete, uh, that it is growing old and becoming obsolete. It's not as if it's going to burn up in fire. It's that, uh, have you ever uh, come to the realization that you knew something at one time and then you all of a sudden have an expanded understanding of that concept and the new understanding replaces the old, but it's not that it does away with it. It just replaces it with something better The new covenant Is not to say the old covenant of the law And the priest it, that, that, was, that was terrible That was how God related to people then And we're going to throw it away That's not what's being said here Because it's the same theme from the beginning of Genesis What is he saying Is that God Kind of like an acorn to an oak tree Is continuing to reveal himself And make himself known In greater and greater ways The old Pointed to the new; it was a shadow that needed the fulfillment in Christ, so that we would have real hope. He says, "Now, the point of all of this is this: that we have a great High Priest that actually brings a firm and certain salvation, and because of that, we can have hope." It took him four chapters to get there, but the point is just beating with the drum. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. When you go to work tomorrow, I will be your God and you will be my people. When you go back to school, students, I will be your God and, and uh, God says, and you will be my people. God is with us in the very difficult trying things that cause us fear, cause us struggle, cause us anxiety. God is with us. We have one who can bring in a sure And certain hope he can bring that because he promises his faithfulness to us let's pray god uh would you take your word as you have chosen to reveal yourself god would you take it and would you give us hope thank you god that our salvation is not based on our merit not based on our obedience to your law not based on uh us and how well we dress ourselves up Father thank you that our hope Our salvation uh, And is based on Jesus And Jesus alone Thank you God that we have a priest Who is eternally and forever Always living to intercede For us Father hear his prayers on our behalf Thank you that you accept us Because of him God give us hope that you are Our God and you will not Forget us Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.